If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Should be page, I believe this is 602 uh, in your pew Bible if you need to use that. Isaiah 42, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. The servant of the Lord in Isaiah 42. And uh, we'll, we'll, look, we'll look at this some more as, uh, throughout the sermon, but let's go ahead and just read verses 1 through 9 as we, as we start. <clears throat> Verse 1 of Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. In 1950, toward the end of the year, as the Korean War had just begun, General MacArthur decided to send some Marines behind enemy lines in what is now North Korea. He was banking on the fact that the Chinese would not enter the war. Well, as the Marines were stepping onto the shores, hundreds of thousands of Chinese soldiers were coming out of China into Korea. What ended up happening in late November, early December, is that the Marines ended up being surrounded by Chinese. Uh, The famous Marine Colonel Lewis Chesty Puller said, well, this simplifies matters for us. We don't have to look for the enemy since they're all around us. Well, it became clear that the Marines needed to get out and needed to get to safety, though General Smith, uh, his response was when he said, well, I didn't know that Marines retreat. He said, no, we're just helping the rear guard. And so they had to find a way to get out. And there was a one-lane road that went down south, uh, and they slowly made their way south to safety. Well, it was one of those 100-year winters, and the weather ended up, if what I understand is uh, right, the weather ended up killing as many people as the, the Chinese did as they were, uh, as they were moving south. Things were going all right, though, um, until they hit or until they came to a ravine 
where the Chinese had been first and had blown up a bridge. So they were, they were trapped. And the Air Force did something, which my understanding is that they had never done it before nor since. They parachuted parts of a bridge on a small airstrip. The Marines were able to take those parts, build a bridge, cross the bridge, and make it to safety. Now, as I heard that story this week, and I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about our passage today in Isaiah 42, and I think what what the uh, the the emotional response would have been for a Marine in that situation. This has been terrible. You know, they're 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 losing uh, losing toes from frostbite. Um, they're low on their rations, they're, and now they're trapped. And there's, there's, they were outnumbered about 10 to 1. Um, and then all of a sudden, these planes come bringing parts of a bridge. And they're able to cross and make it to safety. When we look at Isaiah 42, the first four verses say three times, this servant, this Isaiah doesn't name him. This mysterious servant will come and he will bring forth justice. He will establish justice. He will proclaim justice to the nations. And then later on, he will be a light for the nations. And he will bring freedom for those who are in prison and in darkness and sight for the blind. And I, 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 again, I thought about what those Marines felt um, and, and by the way, there were a few. There were a few in the army, so there were a few soldiers with the Marines. Um, one time, I called a Marine a soldier, and that's that's a mistake you just make one time. You just, it just it just happens one time. You don't do it again. So there were a few soldiers there, but you just think about what they would have felt when those planes came and the bridge is ready. Freedom. They were they were in a desperate situation. They were thinking about death. And then salvation came for them. Well, as we read this passage, it's important, I believe, for us to see ourselves as one of the nations, as those who inhabit the nations that the servant came to save, came to bring justice where there was none. He came to bring light where there was darkness. He came to bring freedom where there was bondage. As Matt's already said, this past Friday was the Epiphany. Um, and so today is the Sunday after Epiphany. And as he's already mentioned, it comes from a Greek word that means appearance or manifestation. And the, you know, one of the, I don't know if you call it a theme story, but one of the stories that illustrates the Epiphany is the star coming to the Magi or the wise men. And they follow, so they follow the star and it leads them to Christ in Bethlehem. And that's a picture of God, God coming to the nations. Those magi would have never been able to find the Savior if it weren't for the grace of God, if it weren't for the initiative of God, if it weren't for the epiphany, the appearance of that star that they could follow. Well, Christ has come to us. And we're called to follow the star, so to speak, to follow God's grace. And it leads us to this servant. So let's look at Isaiah 42 this morning, and we see three things about this servant. And before we get into those three things, I think that this is one of those places where the context of Isaiah here really, really helps set the stage for what this text means. It, 
This chapter comes in the midst of, of what I, I think is just a majestic section of, of Isaiah that begins in chapter 40, where the Lord through the prophets says, comfort, comfort my people. It comes to bring comfort, encouragement, um, a reason to take heart to those who are desperate. And as, as, it, as it starts out, it appears that the Lord is speaking specifically to people who have been taken from their homeland, who are far away from home, who are in exile and longing to come home. The Lord predicts in chapter 41 that they will be able to come home. And what he says later on in Isaiah is it's going to be through a king, through Cyrus. And he says a couple of things about this king in chapter 41 that help us out with chapter 42. Chapter 41, verse 2 says, Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. Now, so this king that's coming in chapter 41 will, will be the type of king who squashes his enemies. And there, that um, image is repeated at the end of chapter 41 as well. And so since God was going to stir up this king to do that, God's people were not to fear. That also as we get to the end of chapter 41, gave them reason not to trust in idols. That is, not to trust in false gods. Um, and so chapter 41 ends with a claim that the, the other religions, the, the, um, the idols, were nothing. It says in uh, verse 40, excuse me, verse 24 of chapter 41, behold, you are nothing to the idols and then in chapter 20, excuse me, get this right eventually. Verse 29, behold, they are a delusion. And as we, as we think about chapter 41, I, I think uh, it's important for us not to see ourselves as superior to those who trusted in carved images. Sometimes we can, sit, we can have the attitude, oh, that was, that was back then. And those gullible people who uh, used, to, used to live, we're, we're not like them. But as Paul mentions a couple of times in Ephesians and Colossians, we, we can have idols without having a carved image. Uh, money, wealth, mammon, it's an idol. And, um, and, and we can treat irreligion uh, as, as a religion itself. That is, we can try to find meaning and purpose apart from God as well. And that is just as much a delusion as the idols were of chapter 41 as well. Now, so there are two beholds uh, at the end of chapter 41. Behold, you are nothing. Verse 24, verse 29. Behold, they are all a delusion. And that leads us to chapter 42. Another behold. So look there, nothing. Look there, a delusion. But look here. Look at this. Verse 1. Behold, my servant. So in contrast to... False religion, for us, irreligion perhaps. We are to look at this servant. Um, so, there are three large sections here, in, or three, three sections here in chapter 42. Let's look at these one at a time. What will this servant bring? First of all, verses 1 through 4, the servant brings justice. The servant brings justice. But before we look at the nature of, of justice. Let's look at the nature of the servant first. 
So God says, behold, my servant. Um, so this is God's servant. This is, this is inspired, so to speak, by God. Now, Isaiah, if we read through Isaiah, uh, and we could, we could trace this out. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's, uh, th- there are really four sections in the second half of Isaiah that talk about a mysterious servant. People argue about what Isaiah was thinking of uh, or at least scholars do still today. And I don't, I don't want to get into that a whole lot. But if you look at these four sections, this is the first one here in chapter 42. You see another one in chapter 49, another one, shorter one in chapter 50. And then the great one, the big one, uh, is it begins at the end of chapter 52 and goes to chapter 53. And there's, there's a progression here. So this is the first one. This kicks things off. Some people say, well, he's talking about the nation of Israel here. And there, there is some reason to think of that because he calls Israel the nation in chapter 41. But as you get later on, you see, especially in chapter 49, this can't be the nation of Israel. So who, who is Isaiah talking about? So Isaiah is a little bit vague. By the, the time you get, though, to chapter 3, this servant is dying for God's people. Uh, he's bearing the sins of God's people. This is what the Ethiopian, uh, if you're familiar with this passage in Acts 8, he's, he's reading this and he asked Philip, who, who's, Isaiah, who's the prophet talking about right here? Which allows Philip to say, this is talking about Jesus. Uh, Matthew quotes this passage in describing the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 12. So it ultimately is speaking of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So behold, my servant, God's servant, Christ was carrying out um, his father's will, whom I uphold. So he has the omnipotent strength of God. I think there are specific temptations um, at each stage of, of life. And one of the, I believe anyway, one of the temptations for old age is cynicism. So you, you, you look at a person who starts out really strong, a, a would-be reformer in life, and they look at the pains and the disappointments of life, and it can create cynicism uh, in terms of their attitude toward others and their own mission and purpose and so on. It's easy to burn out. Um, It's easy to burn out in any stage of life. But this servant is one that the omnipotent God will sustain and uphold. So my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, uh, God's select individual, whom my soul delights If we are seeking to imitate God, we will delight in this servant as well. Then he says, I have put my spirit on him. So the same spirit that hovered over creation, that participated in creation, will also participate in this recreation of of justice all over the earth. In whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. So the activity right here is to bring justice. Now, justice is something that that we, especially Americans, all over, probably people all over the earth, argue a lot about. What is the just thing to do? What is our standard of justice? We had some um, we had some arguments, even in our own country, even in our own state, this past week that have to do with what, what is just, what is what is right. Um, so this servant is bringing God's standard of justice specifically to the nations. It's a universal, universal mission um, right here. Bring forth justice to the nations. I think uh, it's helpful for us to pause right here to remember that in the Bible, justice is 
is different, at least a little bit different than we often think of as justice, particularly the, the Old Testament. Justice is a very active thing. Um, it is coming into a situation that's wrong and making that situation right. And so earlier on in Scripture, Deuteronomy says the Lord executes justice for the fatherless. So the fatherless are an example of individuals who were oppressed. Um, they were mistreated. That situation was wrong. It was against God's standard. God is the type of God who comes in and makes that situation right. That's why some older translations translate this as judgment. Um, the servant will bring judgment to the nations because it's a very active thing. So the, so the servant comes to the nations and things aren't right. Things are broken. Things are wrong. And the servant has come to make those things right. Uh, you see this too in the, the book of Judges. A judge is not somebody who, you know, uh, who has a robe and, and sits at his particular station. People come to the judge. A judge is one who goes out and the, God's people are being oppressed and he delivers, the judge uh, delivers God's people from being oppressed. So this is a very active thing. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, if we stop right there, we would think, okay, this maybe this is a coup, some type of coup, uh, some type of war, very active, very violent, but that's not what happens. Look at verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This, this servant is not about chest thumping and flexing. Uh, he's not drawing people to give him attention. Um, he's carrying out his mission quietly. This is not self-promotion. There's a selflessness as well here. Um, as, as we look through, let's look at verse 3 now. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So a bruised or broken reed. Um, he's not going to finish the reed off. What, what, what is this an image of? This is an image of Jesus coming to the weak, the oppressed, the marginalized, and he's not going, going to squash them. He's not, he, this, this is a, a judge in a sense. This servant is one who is unlike the king mentioned in chapter 41, who, um, who, who, who's just knocking people off everywhere. This is one who is gentle, who is meek, who goes specifically to those who are oppressed and, 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 and covers up that smoldering wick that it doesn't go out. And the thing is, if, if you think about your own life and you, you feel broken, you look at some of the dreams that you had in your life, some of your expectations that you had, and those expectations are not being met. And you are in life not where you thought you would be at this age or this season or this grade or so on. You're in a perfect place for Jesus to come to you. If you're a smoldering wick, if you got up this morning and, and you, you came here and you think to yourself, I don't really even know why I came. I really didn't feel like getting out of bed this morning. I just, I'm just not feeling it. It was one of those weeks. And the days are short, which makes it worse. I don't even know why I'm here. 
and you're, you're that smoldering wick, you're in a perfect place. Jesus will not quench the smoldering wick. He will not break the broken reed. He didn't, he didn't come to, to rub shoulders with the great. He came for those who, who feel like they're, they're in this place. And there's a sense in which, too, we're all bruised reeds. Whether we, it's just whether we recognize it or not. We're all smoldering wicks. We, maybe we think we're, we're a bonfire, but we're really, really this. Uh, and so the issue for us is do we recognize it or not? A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. In Matthew, when Matthew quotes this, it's right, it's right in between the place where he's healing people. Uh, those, there was a man who had no use of his hand. Jesus came to, to heal him. And then right after... He drives out a demon. So it's, the, it's those who are handicapped, those who are, who are crippled, those who, um, those who are demonized. Jesus came for those people and He will faithful, He will in truth bring forth justice. He will come to the situation that is broken, that is wrong, that's against God's will. He makes it right. That's the type of servant that He is. Verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. Uh, and let me stop right there. Though we are smoldering wicks, we're barely, barely burning. There's a light there, but just a little bit. Uh, we, are, we are broken reeds. He is not. And he, doesn't, he, does, he didn't give up. And he's going to accomplish his mission until he finish, finishes it. Till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands are an image of those who are farthest away. Um, so those all over the earth will wait for his law, for his teaching. There's a sense in which we're doing that right now. We have a gospel reading every, every Sunday, whether someone preaches from the gospel or not. And that is, in a sense, that's the teaching, that's the instruction of Christ. And we, are, we are hoping in, in his law. We are waiting for his law. Uh, and there's, there's a sense in which carrying that out, you have, to, you have to hope, you have to have an expectation that Jesus will do the things that he's promised. It, it, he tells us to love our enemies. Um, that, is, that is exceedingly hard. When we try to carry out that command to love our enemies, we are, we are trusting that this, is the, this thing pleases the Lord. This is the right thing to do. So it says he's going to carry out justice until the coastlands wait for his law. Or as, as it's translated sometimes in the New Testament when they quote or refer to this, um, the nations will hope in his name. Or the nations will hope in him. So how did the servant do this? And what, what might that, this mean for us today in verses 1 through 4? Um, first of all, the servant came uh, because there was, there was a an unjust situation, a wrong situation in that um, God promised that all who sin against him should die. Adam and Eve should die for their transgression. And if we sin, we should die on the one hand, but we are his image bearers and we are precious in his sight. So he couldn't leave us. Uh, God is God is good. God is love. And so he refused to leave us in hopelessness. So there's this tension um, in, within, within the character of God Himself 
in light of our situation, I'm at, at the school I teach, I'm, I'm teaching on uh, a book by a bishop named Athanasius in the 300s called On the Incarnation of the Word. And he, he talks about Jesus came because of that tension. God loved us and yet God is just. So there was this unjust situation and Christ came to make it right. He came to bring justice. So that's one of the things, that's one of the ways that the servant did this. But through those who followed Christ, the church imperfectly, very imperfectly, the church has brought justice into the world. God, Jesus calls his followers to be salt and light. And so you can look and see ways in which the church has done this as well. Again, imperfectly, not, not perfectly, but the church has brought justice into the world. The church is also today called to bring justice into the world too, in a, in a biblical sense. That's why it's very important for us to, to um, have, have a biblical view of what, what justice is. The church should seek to bring justice into the world as well, but Jesus will also bring permanent justice to his world when he returns. So we think about the story, or the, the, the idea behind the epiphany, that Jesus has come to the nations, um, and we also long for his, his future epiphany, or his future appearance as well. So this, this, this is a challenge, and I'll mention this again toward the end. This is a challenge for us, but it's also a source of encouragement and hope as well as we, as we wait for his law. Second thing we see in this passage is this, the servant not only brings justice, but the servant brings light and freedom. The servant brings light and freedom. Verse 5 says, thus says God... Um, you know, there's an emphasis right here, from what I understand, uh, on the transcendence of God. The, the, the Hebrew word behind God right here means the, the God. It's, there's an there's a emphasis on transcendence. So thus says the God, that it, we can think of that in contrast to false gods. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. In other words, thus says the creator God. The God who made the heavens and the earth, that's a way of saying everything. The God who made all things, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I think it's helpful if we pause right here to remember that the, the breath that we are taking right now is a gift of God. So God created us and he consistently sustains us. Every breath is from him. Our spirit is from him. He's the reason right now that we are that, that we're alive. So when we think of the grace of God, you know, it, it, it is important to think of the gospel, the story of Jesus. But the grace of God is in creation as well. Uh, we live in his good world and every breath that we take is grace from him. So we are living right now by grace. So this this transcendent God who made all things who gives us breath right now, what is he going to say? Verse 6, I am the Lord. So he identifies himself. I am the Lord. That is, I am specifically the God who revealed himself to the nation of Israel. And then ultimately, and, and greatest of all through the Lord Jesus Christ, I am the Lord. I have called you, speaking specifically of the servant, I've called you in righteousness I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, 
We'll stop right there. So the servant came as a covenant for the people. Who are the people right there? The nations. So Jesus is the embodiment of God's oath-bound promise that He would come to bless all the nations of the earth. That's who Jesus is. He's a covenant for the people. Uh, he, is, he, he is an assurance that God will do what He promised in grace. Given you as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. What is light? Um, it is it's truth. It's goodness. Jesus is truth and goodness for the nations. For us today, right now. That's who Jesus is. He's a light for the nations. He's come to bring um, truth and goodness. And then he illustrates how in verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind. Why is it that you see often in the stories about Jesus that he's, he's healing those who are blind? There, there are multiple reasons for that. One of which is he's illustrating what he's doing for us. That we are blind. We have been blind. And he, he takes the scales off of our eyes spiritually, just like he took the scales off Paul's eyes spiritually as well, uh, or physically as well. So to open the eyes that are blind, he came to, to enable us to see. And to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, we have been enslaved uh, in, in our hopelessness. We have been enslaved in guilt. We have been enslaved in, in darkness discouragement, and Jesus sets us free. He came to set us free. Now, I think this, I mean, this, is, this is who God is. Um, he came for those who are marginalized, and there's a sense in which we all are marginalized. Now, there are two dangers uh, here that, that this helps us to avoid. One is self-confidence. Uh, it helps us to avoid the danger of being confident in ourselves. Because if we take this passage seriously, if we take the message of the epiphany seriously, we are hopeless on our own. We are, we're helpless on our own. We are trapped in darkness. And if you see yourself as one who was blind, now you see. If you, if you were formerly blind, there's no, there's no reason uh, to be confident in, in yourself. You trust in God. So, so taking this uh, helps us to uh, to uh, avoid the danger of self-confidence. But the other danger is that of, of complacency. So we can, we can, in a sense, trust in God, and yet we're complacent about the needs around us. But if it's one of those things where um, thinking carefully and, and singing about who Jesus is and what He's done should motivate us outward as well you know the, the the more we look upward the more we look outward and so if Jesus is one who's come to open the eyes who are blind we should long for those who are still blind to see as well and long to be instruments of God's grace and giving them sight and bringing them out of a dark prison into God's marvelous light and so there's there's a sense in which if we take this seriously uh, it motivates us and, and keeps us from being complacent. It's kind of like to go back to what Jesus said about loving your enemies. If we really believe that, okay, I was an enemy of God and Jesus loved me and he died for my sins, that gives me a motivation to love my enemy. Uh, so if I take the message of the gospel seriously, the message of the servant uh, seriously, 
that's going to transform my relationships and the way that I view my relationships and treat others. Lastly, we see that the servant brings fulfillment to promises. So the, the servant brings fulfillment. So the servant brings justice, that is biblical justice. The servant brings light, um, and the servant also brings fulfillment. We see this in verses 8 and 9. I am the Lord. So the Lord says that again. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So God is God. No one else is God like He is God. There's, there's only one. So that's very, very explicit, easy to understand statement. Verse 9, Behold, the former things have now come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now, how does verse 9 relate to verse 8? Well, in the what, I, what the Lord is doing through Isaiah here is saying, okay, look at, look at these false idols. One of the reasons not to trust in them is because they neither know nor are in control of the future. I am in control of the future, therefore trust me. And it's as if the Lord is saying, let me give you an example of this. There's this guy who's going to come in 150 years and his name will be Cyrus. And that happened, giving those who take God's word seriously, reason to trust in him. So he, he both knew and was in control of the future and he fulfilled it. Well, there's this other promise. So the former things, we think of the former things as the Old Testament, Cyrus, what God did in the past. So he says, behold, the former things have come to pass. Okay, they're, they're, they're as good as sure now. And new things I now declare. So this servant will be a new thing. So he's declaring this new thing before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now, we look back in the past and we say, okay, the servant has come. And it gives us a reason to trust God as well. In other words, the Lord will do and has done something that no other God could do. And the Lord has done and will do something that irreligion can't do either. Um, so we th think of it this way, or one way I, th I think of it. Um, so Because our... I, I, Seems as if our great temptation is is not toward literal idols, as I mentioned a little while ago, but toward just just no religion at all. Um, you know, religion only being theoretical. Oh yeah, I believe in God, but it makes no difference in my life. That's that's our temptation, I think. Um, and so so let's let's think about what this says and about our own context. Um, so in within Christianity, the world is broken and God has done something because he's good and he is love God has done something to fix this world and he will do something in the future as well we step outside of that we think about a, a godless world um, a godless universe is is completely indifferent to genocide a godless universe is completely indifferent to injustice to the marginalized and oppressed um, and so God has done something that, 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 that godlessness or other gods are unable to do. He's pre predicted the future. He's in control of the future. And he's kept his promises. And we see that through Jesus Christ. Um, so, I, you know, I think there's a, there's a way in which, uh, one, I guess one of, one of the quirks 
that, that I do is whenever John Lennon's song, Imagine There's No Heaven, comes on. I'm like, okay, whoever's with me, listen to these lyrics right now. Let's imagine that there's no heaven. And, and then and we have to, that's what a godless universe is. And the, imagine there's no heaven. Well, the Rwandan genocide in the 1990s, it just happened. You know, just things like that happen. But within our, our belief system, within Christianity, God not only cares about the brokenness of the world, he came to save it. So what does this mean for us? Uh, what, what, what conclusion can we draw from the servant who has come to us? First of all, this is a reason for us to be encouraged. We should be encouraged. Justice, biblical justice, has come. Justice will come. So take heart in your own life. If you see brokenness, if you feel brokenness within you, take heart. Justice has come. Justice will come. On a related note, we can take comfort. Encouragement, comfort, a little bit different. Uh, We think of comfort as inner strength. Um, You feel like you're a broken reed right now, bruised reed, smoldering wick. You are the type of person that Jesus came for. Jesus, um, Jesus holds his hand, so to speak, over that smoldering wick. He, he straightens up that broken reed. Um, take comfort in the fact that Jesus is there for you. Um, and Jesus has come for you. It also brings us not only encouragement, comfort, these are related terms, but confidence as well. We can trust a God who has kept his promises. He promised something. He promised numerous things, the the former things, the new things, and he has kept those promises. There's still some more promises and we're waiting on those things. And so we wait for his law. We wait for his teaching as well. But this also challenges us. So I think we see comfort, encouragement, confidence, but there's a challenge here. If we do believe that the servant has come and he he has saved us, He's blessed us. Um, He's given us hope. There are others who need hope as well. There are unjust situations. There There are those who are oppressed. There are those who are demonized. There are those who are broken and they need us to be instruments of the grace of God in their lives. We're called to be people who care about biblical justice and who care about light. If we're going to do those things, we need the same spirit that was on the servant. Um, we need that same spirit to carry out what God has called us to do as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, on this Sunday after Epiphany, we give thanks to you for the servant who has come to save us. We thank you for those promises that you've kept. We thank you for light. We thank you for freedom. And I pray, Lord God, um, specifically, if there, there are those in here who they came this morning feeling like a, a broken reed or smoldering wick, I pray that they would feel your grace and your strength this morning and know in their hearts that you care deeply for them and you have come to save them. And I pray too, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might be instruments of your grace and those who are also broken and those who are hurting, for those who are still in darkness, and for those who are in bondage in prison. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.